Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? What's good? Welcome to Convos for the Coast. We are back. I took the last week off because, listen, y'all wasn't listening to the, the, uh, the episode, so I said, you know what, let me give them another week to listen to the episode, all right? So make sure y'all listening, all right? But no, nah, I took the for real, for real, I took the week off. I uh, got some things in order, but we are back. I'm here today with Lizzie. What up, Lizzie? How you feeling? Hey, hey, what up? Hey, Culturalics. All right, so we're going to get right into it, right? Mm-hmm. We F the pleasantries, right? How are you? How are you? You good? I'm good. I'm in Rome now. The last time you guys okay. saw me was in Greece, so, you know. So what did Rome do if the Romans do or whatever they say? That's a little dangerous, but yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I am in Chicago. All right, so <laughs> we got a lot to do today. Later on, we got Ernest Owens, who's going to come here. Amazing, amazing, amazing conversation that I had with uh, Ernest Owens. We talked about cancel culture. All right. So we're going to get into that. But there's a couple of things I want to talk about. First of all, I want to talk about Ja Morant. Ja Morant, amazing player, young brother. Young brother, um, plays for the Memphis Grizzlies. He's definitely one of the best, the top uh, players in the NBA right now. Up and, you know, up and coming player. He has found himself in, you know, some firestorm as of late. Um, first of all, I want to say that John Moran is 23 years old, okay? 23. 23. 23. So I needed to say that. Anyways, he had some troubles, you know. Um, he was playing a pickup game of basketball with a teenager at one point uh, recently, and, like, the teenager accused him of beating him up beating him up, and having his friend, you know, John's friends came, and they kind of, like, bullied on the, on the board, right? But the boy did throw a basketball at his head, at his, at his face. Well, then there was some issues during a recent game. I want to say against the Pacers, where one of John Moran's um, entourage had a laser pointer and pointed mm-hmm. at somebody, and like, you know, we all know what that means, yeah. right? You see that red dot. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> then there was a issue that came up with John Morant. His mom had an issue at a, a finish line or whatever. Right? His, mom. his mom. Okay. And she called her son and he came to make sure his mom's was good. But he yeah. came, he pulled up with his entourage, right? Mm-hmm. On some goon shit, right? <laughs> um, and then most recently this weekend, I wake up Saturday morning and John Morant is trending. I'm like, what did he do now? And mm-hmm. I see him. What is it, Blakey? What is a pistol? Oh. All right. Brandishing it on IG Live. So a lot's happening here. First of all, I want to say I want Ja Morant to do better. Yes. I want Ja Morant to be better. Mm -hmm. Um when Ja Morant was drafted at number two behind um Zion Williamson, I said that Ja Morant was the best player in that draft. He's proven right so far. Mm -hmm. Um I said that John Morant is going to be the future face of the NBA. Mm. Obviously, when you know when when <laughs> the King leaves, that kind okay? of face. <laughs> obviously, when Go James leaves. But I said that John Morant has all the tools, all the tangibles. Mm-hmm. The same reason why we loved Allen Iverson, because the way he played, how yeah. different he was. John Moran has this infectious smile that people love about him. He just yes. plays so hard, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew, like, he was that dude. He came from a college that he wasn't, like, a top, at a top school, right? All these things. Yeah. His hard work, his dedication, his grind, the hustle, like, all of that. 
I absolutely job rent hard, heavy. So I want better for him. I wanted to see better for him. Yeah. Now, I'm very uncomfortable, Lizzie, with the conversation around John Moran. Oh, extremely. It's getting real extremely uncomfortable. Because it's turning into, and you know, anybody who knows combos for the culture, you know, I there's nothing more that I loathe than respectability politics. Yes. <laughs> you know, Black people should act a certain way to be treated a certain way. Mm-hmm. I think that's disgusting. You want to piss Micah off? Respectability. <laughs> yeah, respectability politics. We got to do away with that, right? Yeah. We're talking about cancel culture today. That's what we yeah. need to cancel. So, conversations about what you have skipped. You have Skip Bayless. Ugh, boo. Skip boo. Bayless. Boo. Questioning if one of the best NBA players in the league is a crip or not. That's so, insane. He you literally have... needs to be checked mentally at this point for the crazy things that he thinks and the patterns and ways that he speaks. Well, I personally feel that Skip Bayless is a closeted racist. Oh, is it a closet? I think it's just pretty open and it's demonstrative yeah. in his nature and we just allow it. Like everybody's yeah, just like, oh, that's just Skip. Like, is it? It's just racist. <laughs> but Skip also comes from a time frame. He's at a, you know, mm-hmm. a time frame where that's how those people act. White folks from yeah. that age group, that's them, right? Old, set in their mm-hmm. ways. But you also have black people saying things like, Skip, I won't tell something. Skip, Sam Sharp. Skip, John Moran <laughs> about that life. He come from a two. He come from a two parent household. Skip, all right. My goodness. He grew up, went to private school. He's not a thug. Skip. He's not a thug. Skip. John Morant was raised right. Two parent house. What? What does that even mean? Like that's wild to me. And it's just a lot of that people like, is he in a gang? Is he this? All these speculations. He's 23 years old. Like it's the 23-year-old thing of it all. That's what I would say. 23. Think about and I hate when old niggas do stuff like this. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? Whether it's Chloe, she's being too sexy. All right. Mm -hmm. What was you doing? At 23. I could I could spill some tea on myself. At 23, I was hitting amateur night at the strip club. Like, like, y'all was out here throwing what? it back, making a clap, and all of that. Taking right? shots. Let's take a shot. Like, what? Now you're sitting oh, here no business. punching down on a child. Secondly, <laughs> so same thing that you're doing with job, right? Mm-hmm. He's 23 years old. Not only is he 23, and this is not me making excuses for him, because I started yeah. always saying he needs to do better. I want him to do better, right? Max. But you were 23 doing stupid stuff, and you weren't a millionaire like him. Yeah. You were 23 doing stupid stuff, and you weren't, you didn't have the keys to a whole entire kingdom. He is the face of the Memphis Grizzlies. He's the right. sole provider for his family and his friends right now. Yeah. There's a lot of Power, there's a lot of responsibility that falls on that young man's shoulder. Yeah. Now, does he need to center himself and figure it out? Yes. Yeah. 
But does he need a whole bunch of old people talking about he needs to do this, that, 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 and the other when they did the same things when they were young? No. You will never change a young person's mind by punching down at them and telling them all the things that they're doing wrong. Yeah. You won't. Have a conversation. Find out what's going on with him. Why is he doing the things that he's doing? And figuring out better ways to handle the stress, better ways to handle whatever it is that's going on. I don't know. I don't like how this whole situation is being handled. Now, one thing that I do want him to do is be careful because at the end of the day, you're in Memphis. Memphis is a very, 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 very dangerous place. Violence, yeah. I mean, just last year alone, last year we saw the rapper Young Dolph get gunned down in Memphis. So you're out here with your blicking, look at me, look at me, look at me on Instagram. Like, come on, man, do better because you start pulling. I I, I always, I always, always, always heard if you're going to pull out a weapon, you better be sure to use it. Yeah. If you're going to pull out a weapon, you better be sure to use it. That very next thing that you do should be you pulling the trigger, right? Yeah. So just acting all cavalier with this weapon, it's not because somebody can see that they feel some type of way and you're going to get got in the parking lot or you get got Mm -hmm. in the club. Yeah. I think like for him, the the pressure, the power of pressure too. But I've always been told this, that like you do what you know and you do what the most influential person in your life tells you that has access to you. So instead of people talking down to him, I feel like it'd be so much better if an influential person could speak to him into a place of maturing as a man. And like, he's just, being reactionary as a 23 year old has nothing to do about where he's from what he you know it's literally like okay I gotta let some of this steam off okay I gotta go protect my mom like please let's not pretend like no but I have rolled up on a place that somebody was messing with my mom me and my (laughs) sisters rolled deep what this lady just hit you in a store so like we act like because he has money and because he's the face Mm. of an organization that he shouldn't have feelings and emotions come on but like one of the things that they have to deal with is so much criticism and so much harassment and like i've even saw people talk about like why would he even have a gun hello because people will roll up on what are you talking about he has the right to bear arms hello (laughs) like y'all are crazy so i think the conversation has just spiraled into that's another way that they put an excuse on us in our community it's like oh well they're from a bad neighborhood Mm -hmm. instead of just calling like true maturity and saying like hey let's teach you a better way um it's punishment and then well there goes them people from that place like Mm-hmm. We can't expect better of them. And I don't like that at all. It's giving the niggers are niggering. That's how they act. <laughs> yes, very much uh, so. And I don't like that. And then also I want to say that John Moran's dad, outstanding individual, right? Mm-hmm. He's done everything right up until this point, I feel. Yeah. Raising his son, making sure you know you get your son to the league and all of this. What I will say is it's it's understandable. I feel like his dad, T Morant, is enjoying the fruits of his labor mm, his mom huh you said his dad twice his mom is enjoying the fruits of her, her yeah, his labor no I, I meant to say his dad twice oh oh his, okay, okay his dad T. Morant 
is now mm-hmm. enjoying the fruits of his labor. All the uh, work he put in to get his son ready. Because I don't know if you know much I about it, but Team Morant's always at the games. He's courtside with Usher, courtside yeah. with this person. He's like the center of attention as well. Mm. I think we got to get he back. He feels to like it's their thing and that he gets something for putting in the work as a father. Wow. Which is fine. But, which is fine, but you got to keep your son grounded. Otherwise, what you guys spent 20 plus years to accomplish, it's going to be down mm-hmm. the drain. It's going to be down yeah. the drain. Because yeah. black athletes don't have the same leash that white athletes have. And they'll exactly. discard you. They'll throw you to the side in a minute. So that's my thoughts on John Morant. Um, I just need y'all to stop being weird. I need y'all to stop with the respectability politics I'm talking about. He came from a good household and all the other stuff because that's just freaking weird. And I don't even know what that means. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Strange right, behavior. So something else happened yesterday. We're going to get right into it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm online scrolling <laughs> and I see this album, single artwork. And I was like, who's that? And it was Tori Kelly. Brand new single coming out on the 17th of March. Um, and she had very tan skin. This, Yeesh. and she had very dark black hair, right? Mm-hmm. And my initial thoughts was, why is she Ariana Grande us, right? For those of you who don't know, <laughs> I feel like Ariana Grande often cosplays as a black woman or cosplays as a Latina woman. She's a black fish, for sure. huh? She's a black fish for sure. Mm-hmm. And then when you see her old picture, you're like, the hell? That's a whole ass white woman. Hello. Wait, you're on Disney I, Channel with your red hair. <laughs> I at one point thought, I mean, I hear Ariana Grande. I thought she was like Latina. For real. For the longest yeah. time. So Tori Kelly, who people are on the internet now calling her Teresha, which is hilarious. Um, I see this picture and I was about to go in. I was like, Oh, I'm about to drag her. But then I went to the comments. And mm-hmm. in the comments, people was like, oh, her black side is coming out. I said, her black side? <laughs> Kelly was just like, Josh Stone, JoJo. You know? Yeah. Like, white girl with a little bit of soul. Went on Google, did a quick Google search and found out that her dad is Afro- her dad is Jamaican and Puerto Rican. So yes. she's a mixed woman. Her mom is white. Like white, white. Yes. German. <laughs> Irish and German. Yeah. yeah Irish German. <laughs> like white, white. Um, German is strong. I had more cheese. questions. I had a lot more questions. And I was like, so then I did some more research. And she has talked about it in different interviews. Oh, okay. Not extensively. But I found mm-hmm. an interview that she was on with Ebro in the morning. Ebro, Laura Styles. Peter Rosenberg. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she talked about it. It was after her BT performance a couple years back, like five, six years ago, mm-hmm. right? Um, so she has talked about it, but not very extensively. 
somebody also told me on Twitter that she's talked about how she doesn't talk about it because she also recognizes that she's white passing. I don't know if she's actually said that yeah. or is that what they read into it, but yeah, there's that. Mm-hmm. Then my, I had a question of why now? Why now? Mm-hmm. Why are you getting away from the aesthetic that you've been giving us? When you're just like, I guess this album is going to be more, it's still pop, but it's going to be more like R&B-ish. So now yes. you're giving us like, hey, look at me. I'm an R&B girl. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, why now? Mm-hmm. Um, I understand yeah. that she has two sides of her that she should be mm-hmm. able to fully navigate, fully embrace, fully interrogate, fully investigate, all of that, right? Mm-hmm. But also, I don't think you can have this conversation without also recognizing that her proximity to whiteness and being quote unquote white passing also helped mm-hmm. her at the beginning of her career up until now. Definitely. Because it's a lot more laborious the darker you are to be successful in the industry. I look at people like Jasmine Sullivan. Jasmine Sullivan had to lose a bunch of weight. Yeah. Jasmine Sullivan had to sing about hotels, right? In order to be embraced. The talent has remained the same throughout. Way back when she was busting the windows out their car, right? Way back when she was singing about lions, tigers, right? Like, the talent has never changed. It's gotten more uh, refined and seasoned, right, and developed, but at the crux of things, at the core of things, she should have been embraced way back, way, 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 way back when. Yeah. So, as our residential, not only our residential um, church girl, right, but also our residential biracial woman, I had to bring you in yes. on this conversation. Yeah, I feel so many ways about it. Like it's a, it's it's a multi layered conversation, and I feel like it's really hard um, for a lot of like mixed people to navigate. Um, because they don't even have the verbiage for it. So, and and there's difference in mixes. So, like Tori's mix is very different than my mix. Like, I don't have a white mother. My mother's Native American, um, and so I've seen the differences between. You got the double end of the bad stick. Yeah, right. Like my people were massacred, and like you yeah, know, yeah, <laughs> taking their language, and you know, yeah. it's just like. It's really horrible. Like I have this thing about not celebrating Thanksgiving because of it. Like I'm just like down with Thanksgiving is the day where people tricked before they got massacred. Like <clears throat> it's a whole thing. Um, but I think also me growing up in California, one of the things that I realized is that Tori Kelly grew up in Wildemore, California, and mm-hmm. it is near Temecula. So if you guys don't know, that is a wine country, and that is one of the widest areas that you will ever find in Southern California. Um, And it's wealthy, it's upper middle class to like a higher percentage than that. So it is a completely different worldview than someone that lives in the city, than someone that has like culture around them. It is literally just like the whitest housewife you could ever see that's like, we should go shopping today and then let's go wine tasting. That's the vibes there. Very okay. much different. So okay. to me, seeing Tori how she started 
makes sense because I don't even know if she realizes or was relating to anyone else black in her life mm. besides music. And I think music is the only place that we've seen where she embraces what we would say is like her blackness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we talked about this on the phone yesterday. Do you think it's real when people say like certain types of black or biracial is more palatable. We talked about this when it was like Barack Obama. I use Barack Obama and um, Kamala Harris, right? Yeah, yeah. People get mad at it all the time when I say Bar Barack Obama isn't black. I'm like, okay, that's fine. He's a biracial man, which is fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, people get mad when I say Kamala Harris isn't black. Also, Kamala Harris never claimed to be black until she started running for president, vice she president. Did. Or president, because she ran for president. One of the most vile people towards her own people that I've ever seen. Yes. And being from California, again, I know how many black men she has incarcerated while yes. being in the position of power. So Kamala <laughs> Harris is a lot more palatable than somebody like, let's say, a Stacey Abrams for multiple yes. reasons skin tone, mm -hmm. body type, hair et cetera, choice. Et cetera, right? Hair choice. Et cetera, et cetera. Barack Obama, although he did present black, right? Mm -hmm. He does in some ways. Black. In some ways, yes. He's mm -hmm. still more palatable than somebody who might be running who's a little bit, you know, if I was running. You feel <laughs> me? Yeah. You could say the same thing as Barack Obama with the same kind of like what people would say his swagger was and mm -hmm. it still be deemed aggressive just because of your skin tone and features. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people debate in the conversation all the time is that um, there is a ingrained hatred for the darker your skin tone is and the more your features are prominent. Like when I think of Stacey Abram, they already think that she's angry when she's passionate, Ooh. right? And then their, her hair choice is, like she chose to keep her natural hair versus a Kamala who's like, I'll make this easier for them because this is mm. the type of hair that they see in the media all the time as well, right? So it's this already system that is filed under. So it's a revolutionary act just to even look like a Black person like yourself. So is it unfair for me to question why Tori is changing up her look now? Is that unfair? I don't think so. I think it's a natural human thing to question. I think mm. it it's a... I don't sit on the side of darker skin, so I don't know right. what that's like, right? I don't pretend to know what it's like, but I think it's a natural question for some people in our community. Like, mm -hmm. okay, why do you get to choose this now? Is mm, yes. a common question that I've heard as a mixed person that I will say in my offense or wounded state, I haven't always been able to take because uh -huh. it feels bad to hear that. Like, it feels mm -hmm. like, okay, I don't get to be a person and explore as well. Or like, this is just my setup as well. Right. But I think it's unfair to take away the question from you guys, and especially if it's not laced in hatred, if it's mm -hmm. literally like a genuine question. Yeah. It's like a genuine, like why? Not saying you can't, mm -hmm. it's just like, why now? Yeah. And it's so, for me, it was so jarring because it was so like, 
one day. You were stuck. Yeah, one day you was like a blonde white woman, and then now I was like, wait, whoa, what's just happened? And I yeah. didn't watch her on American Idol. I didn't watch her on YouTube. Some people are like, you didn't know. You didn't know. No, I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> and that's why I posted it because I didn't know. Um, yeah. I tell you, people be irritated me sometimes, but it's cool. It comes with the territory, right? Um, yes. You didn't know. No, I didn't know. You can't tell. No, and neither can you. Stop lying. But I can't tell. I don't think she has traditional. Black she doesn't. Even body type, like she's very <laughs> slim. It's very. I. I'm just gonna say it. Like you know, I'm not body shaming. I'm just saying, she has a very typically European body. Okay. Yeah. And in all areas, like nothing's too curvaceous. Nothing's given. And I know that all black women are curvy, but it. We tend to have a little bit more shape than Tori has. Her face is not. Like her nose, her lips, her the the way her face is set. I feel like she got a lot of her mother's very German strong genes. You know, she looks and like her dad, he, but she doesn't look like her dad. Right, like it's like underlying or something. Yeah, and then the curls are very like. But anybody can have curly hair, y'all. Like, I was just in Greece, and they have curls that are thick and coily, like. People, yeah, that's what people like. You can't tell by her hair. No, mm. it's a no. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm interested. And then she deleted all her pictures and the videos on Instagram. It was just like it, it's hashtag new era. That's what it said. That's what she keeps saying. Hashtag new era. Yeah, I get it, but like you can't erase the fact that you were. You, we thought you were. Well, I thought that you were white for five years. I think a lot of people thought she was white. I don't want you to feel like it was just you. I only know because of like YouTube and yeah, you know, like because she, she would say like yeah, she would say like you know, I spent time listening to music with my dad and my dad is this, you know, like so I don't know the transition. I think the transition from YouTube to actually being an artist, like a, a signed artist. There was a huge difference in the way that she presented her hair, everything like that. Because she had darker hair all the time. And then it started being highlights. And then it was very blonde all of a sudden. Yes. So that wasn't all of a I sudden, to be honest. Hair. Blonde hair. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, mm. that's interesting. That's what I'm going to say. It's interesting. Her new single drops next week, so I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be looking out for it, um, and seeing what this quote unquote new era is giving. Um, you know, I don't, smoke. I don't got a bunch of smoke for her, but I do feel like it is a privilege to be able to maneuver and pick and choose <laughs> how you want to present. In my but opinion, like, okay. I have a question for you though. So like, no, no, no. So like, is it problematic? Because I have a feeling that Tori is going to come out with this music that is very Gen Z, like R&B-ish slash pop, like TikTok-y okay. type stuff, right? And it's going to be an aesthetic. And then her real life and how she walks around and how she navigates on Instagram is still going to be very much giving white Tori. 
coffee shop, white caramel avocado mocha. toast. Yes, yeah. like sushi. da I'm running through yes. the hills. Like Pilates. And so, yoga. isn't that problematic though? I feel like yes. that's problematic. <laughs> that's my entire point. I feel like it's <laughs> and. You can't technically cosplay if that's a part of your culture. Mm -hmm. But it is kind of cosplay. Some people will say John Morant is cosplaying right now. Because she puts it on as like a vibe, right? Like it's like, well, this is my music vibe. <laughs> yeah. And that's where, and I get it. Everybody has a persona. Lil Nas mm -hmm. X definitely turns it up. It's yes. him. Oh, for sure. But he definitely mm -hmm. turns it up, right? Yeah, it's up. like I'm, I'm performing. Yes, so like I get that, mm -hmm. but at the same time, but there's criticism that Le uh, not LeBron he gets no criticism. Um, there's criticism <laughs> that Lil Nas X gets because they say he's doing too much. Mm -hmm. um, he's I, like he's literally had the same crit critique of he's cosplaying as a gay man, or. Yeah. You know, he's not really... Some people haven't even gone as far as say he's not really gay, right? Which he... So what's on. the line of performance versus cosplay versus... We talked about this, like, Black people not being a monolith. Mm -hmm. And so what are the lines of proximity that we need to be to Blackness or what is does that Blackness even mean, right? So if we're expanding, what is the definition of that? And... Why are we expecting people to be what we are to the to community, like in our own minds, whoever's listening even to, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, my definition of blackness is probably very different than your definition. It may be close because, mm -hmm. you know, what we do, but like, honestly, what should be our expectation of a performer in this way? Why is she so tan? Uh, okay. Yeah. What's that tanner. about? It's all because if, yeah. and granted, it's not the same. No, it is. We got upset with, ooh, hot take. We got upset with Zoe Salonada, right? Yes. Yes. When she played Nina Simone, right? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. she literally, she's Afro-Latina, so she does have black in there as well, right? Yes. One of her parents, yeah. I think it's her mother, right? Um, yeah. But she wore blackface still. Yeah. I think like those are the conversations we have to have, though, because I think in, in a, a biracial person's world or a mixed person's world, sometimes it's like, what opportunities do I give up or not? And they wouldn't think through that as a problem because no one in their household is going to tell them you're less black or you shouldn't you shouldn't do this. I mean, that's not mm -hmm. my household. My household is like you need to empower like, you know, um, and the community I was surrounded with was very clear that I had privilege mm -hmm. and that I needed to steward that privilege well. But right. like in general, other mixed people or biracial people that I know, they're like, well, why would I not have the opportunity or I can still put on for our community? They don't think of these things as problems. And because there's so much hatred in the conversation, they also don't want to receive like a correction like that. But that's absolutely insane, you know? Yeah. And I think that's maybe that's as we're talking this out. And we're mm -hmm. not going to get to, 
an under a full understanding of this small conversation, right? Um, yeah. I think that's where my apprehension maybe is. Yeah. Is that picture, and it could be the way it was shot. It could be so many things that can go in, right? It could have been the creative post-production thing, right? Yeah. Because sometimes stuff happens in post-production. Um, it just looked, it just, to me, it came off it, almost a yeah. little blackface. I I actually, ugh, I don't want to agree here, but I am going to agree because I feel like it was her intention. I'm actually going to take it. I'm shocked. I know. Mike knows. Like, <laughs> I literally, no, I do feel like it was her intention because I feel like there are moments and she may be having this moment in front of the world. I feel like I had it when I was like 16 and FUBU was really hot and Rockaware was really hot and all this stuff. Right. And like 16 year old Lizzie was, it was a vibe for her. And it was like, let me put this on so I can feel black mm. more. Like it's when I went through a lot of racial bullying. So I was like trying to live it and breathe it and be it instead of it being me. And I think what I feel from Tori as another biracial woman is this moment of like, I get to be black now. Like mm. I get to express myself in this way. And so I feel like she's fully diving in because when she posted the reel yesterday of a clip of the single, I was like, sis, <laughs> like, because it's very much get like the high ponytail and the tanner skin and the hoodie and all of that. It was giving Which has to never me been her aesthetic. Ever, ever. It's never been even going back to YouTube. So for Different me, tanks. it is giving that. And I have to be honest with the culturaholics. Because she was all before now, she's always given like worship leader tees, you know, yes. the tank with the flannel, right? Yes. Like yes. the rip, the rip jeans is like, yeah, here jeans. I am to worship. Like the that's what she mean girl aesthetic. Like that's a yes. thing on TikTok. It's a very beigey blonde world and so mm -hmm. I feel like she's just maybe had this like in her heart a little bit and she's just like okay I get to like do it so hashtag new era and I'm finally in because that's the thing too I'm finally in the industry I finally mm -hmm. have paid a little bit of my dues people aren't going to mm -hmm. get rid of me so now I can be this other side or I can explore it because I'm thinking about her project that she even did during COVID right it was very niche it was very um the gospel one? the what was it the gospel one no there's okay. another one um it has okay. don't take me home on it it just has like very um like lo-fi chill type of sounds as well she recorded it in her house okay. and to me that was like she put on a whole aesthetic for that then think about it when she does gospel she does like the whole gospel the look the feel, everything, right? So it is okay. kind of, uh, uh, as much as I don't want to admit it, she's giving very much like, let me put this on and I'm excited about it because I I wanted to do it. Okay. And it's kind of, it is a little cringy just because of the nature of where we've been in the journey with her. Well, one thing's for sure, people are talking about Tori Kelly right now. Um Yes. <laughs> so that worked. If that was that worked mm -hmm. marketing standpoint, it was brilliant. 
um, because which I mean I have a problem with it. Obviously, if it's up just marketing, I have a huge problem with it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it did what it needed to do, right? People are talking about her. Um, had she just came out and said like new song coming out and she had the same aesthetic, I don't think she would have been trending, top ten trending yeah. topic yesterday. Even though, like, oh, okay, no. Tori Kelly's coming back. Not saying that she don't have a fan base, but you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, no, because it was the whole buildup with the little video yeah. that had like the different clips of her. It's almost like she's saying, oh, here's an evolution and I'm black now. <laughs> like yes. that's what it kind of felt like. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Watching that video, I was like, the hell? Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It, it threw, I won't lie. It like threw me through a loop. Because I didn't recognize her. People were like, oh, it looks just like her. I'm like, stop it. Stop it. Maybe no, my eyes. It was a Gen Z girl to me, though. Like a very, like TikTok aesthetic. That's yeah. why I'm like, is it combined? It's like your version of what you think Black is and like TikTok and you're trying to reach this younger generation. Like, what are you trying to do? Who are you? Like, who are you now? You know, that's what, that's kind of what I thought. Well, y'all, let me know. Let me know. Is uh, Let us know in the comments. Uh, is Tori Kelly cosplaying to you? Is John Morant cosplaying to you? All right. Um, thank you, Lizzie, for uh, stopping by. Where can the people find you again? Everywhere. At Lizzie, L-I-Z-Z-Y. No McGuire. P is in Paul, L-A-W-T-O-N. And, yeah, I'm on all platforms. Lizzie P. Lawton. Well, thank you, Lizzie. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Y'all, Stick around because after this break, we have an amazing, 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 amazing interview with Ernest Owens, and we're going to talk about cancel culture. All right, you listen to Combos for the Culture. We will be back after this. So what's good, everybody? I hope you're enjoying the show. We're going to be right back, but I want to let you know that King to Rise Clothing is back, back like we never left. So what I need you to do right now is go to www.combosftc.com. That's www.combosftc.com and grab yourself some gear. We got the Melanin College gear, Black Books and Bless, Rich, like so much Black Love Matters. Anything that you think of, right, it's all for the culture. So go hit the website, www.combosftc.com so you can get your gear, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, but today, all right? When you go to the website, you can go ahead and hit merch and uh, get yourself something. Get your baby mama something. Get your baby daddy something. Only if you pay child support, though, all right? And back to the show. One. All right, y'all, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, we just took a break. Um, I'm really excited about this conversation, this interview, uh, this dialogue, this discussion that we have uh, today on Combos for the Culture. Um, so our guest is the author of an amazing book that I just literally just finished uh, this past Wednesday um, called The Case for Cancel Culture. Uh, Ernest Owens is an award-winning journalist and CEO of Ernest Media Empire, LLC. He is the editor-at-large for Philadelphia Magazine and president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. He hosts the hit podcast, Earnestly Speaking, I see what you did there, and is the author of the book, The Case for Cancel Culture, published by St. Martin's Press, an imprint of Macmillan Publishers. As an openly Black gay journalist, he has made headlines for speaking frankly about intersectional issues in society regarding race, LGBTQIA, and pop culture. In 2018, he launched his growing media company that specializes in, specializes in multimedia production, consultant, and communications. Combos for the Culture 
Cultureholics. Welcome, Ernest Owens, to the podcast. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. You know, it's been two weeks since the book has come out and the reception has been really wild. And like every day it's been an interview, a book signing. And, you know, I'm just feeling really blessed and highly favored. <laughs> ah, ooh, come on, somebody. Blessed and highly favored. We love that. Um, So we're going to play a game here in a minute, Um, a game that we actually do on the podcast every once in a while. But it makes most sense to do it with you. But before okay. we get to that, um. This is your first book, correct? Yes, it is. What made you write the book? Oh, my goodness. Um, it's several reasons. I think for me, it was a it was a topic I was fascinated about, first and foremost. It was something that I felt that my take on it wasn't really published anywhere else. It wasn't there wasn't any other books that I could read that really articulated my ideas on council culture. And so that was the book I felt driven to write is something that I didn't feel like was being heard anywhere else. And so I was really inspired from personal experiences in my life. Um, a lot of the things that I observed in society and that really drove my interest and passion in taking this up. I love that. I love that. And we're going to get more into what that whole process was or not, well, what that whole process looked like. But first, what we're going to do, we're going to play a game that we play here every once in a while on Combos for the Culture and it is called Cancelled or Not, right? So... Okay. <laughs> Something that we do here, because as, as we know, and you kind of talk about in your book, um, canceling looks different for everybody. It does. Um, and people who you think are canceled aren't really canceled. And the people who you think aren't canceled are. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get right into it. All right. We're going to get right into it. Um, we're going to start off here. Um, and I think you might like this one. Because he told you, oh, you poor, sweet so <laughs> um over the years i personally um anybody who listens to the podcast knows it's up in the stuck for me when it comes to justin timberlake um okay. i canceled him a long time ago but some some of us and when i say us i mean black people uh we still rock with justin timberlake so for you justin timberlake canceled or not yeah i think canceled yeah it's a wrap for me i mean it's a wrap um, do you want to talk? So, like, uh, this is a good transition, right? Um, you want to talk about that whole exchange because um, yeah. I actually, so I actually knew of you before I really knew of you. Okay. I remember when he shared that tweet when he mm. quoted your tweet and was like, "Oh, you poor sweet song." I was like, "Wow, that's very shady." Um, yeah. That's very <laughs> condescending. Very. Um, and I felt like if you weren't a black gay male. He might not have said, oh, you sweet soul. Right. Um, talk about like what that was and then what it was like for the, um, you know, the Justin trolls who came and attacked you afterwards. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about, I mean, this happened in 2016. So it's been mm -hmm. going to be seven years this summer. But like, I mean, in a nutshell, I was in the, I was live tweeting from my house, uh, the BT Awards. Mm -hmm. and Jesse Williams had received the Humanitarian Award and gave this really great speech about Black culture and Black Lives Matter and really, at one point in time, talking about exploitation of Black culture and our heritage. Ooh. And in that moment, you know, this is deep. And Justin Timberlake gets on Twitter and he's like, you know, inspired and, you know, using AVA, um, African-American vernacular, like saying, oh, though, you know, inspired and all this. And I was just like, well, what are you inspired by? Because he's talking about people that have done things that you've done. Mm -hmm. I like you. Know, 
what he was inspired by. Because, you know, a lot of people get on here and, and, and like him, put on the front on social media and act like they're really getting it. And I want to know how far did he get it? So hmm. <clears throat> I asked some questions like, you know, you know, were you inspired to stop culturally appropriating? Were you inspired to apologize to Janet, you know? Hmm. And it went a different way. He read it a very different way. And it was very obvious based on his response that he wasn't that inspired or was not mm -hmm. inspired in the right ways that he should have when he came to Justin Timberlake. Yeah, it seemed very um, performative. Um, I feel like people like him, they wear our culture, like Jesse said, as costumes, right? They right. cosplay as Black people. They cosplay Black culture, but then when it's really time for them to like stand up for Black people, um, they really don't. Uh, I put Miley Cyrus in that same boat. I remember Molly was out here. She was hip hop this, hip hop that. And then once she used, you know, she squeezed all the juice out of the hip hop lemon. Then she was like, oh, I don't like that music anyway. No. Right. And we've seen this happen throughout the culture. We've seen this happen throughout many artists. And mm -hmm. Justin Timberlake is someone who benefited the most from it. He had Definitely. an entire career built off of Michael Jackson's B-sides, you know, Ooh. throwing shots at Prince, you know. Um, yes. And has consistently been someone that's benefited off of Black artists and propellers' career. I mean, look at Timberland. Like, without Timberland, I mean, Justin Timberlake's entire career would not have worked. Pharrell, you know, Pharrell. really, you know, leached on these types of artists to give him the sound and the aesthetic and the look. And then when it was no longer profitable, he shifted to this man in the woods persona that also tanked. You know, yes. and it's it's been interesting for him ever since. Yeah, it's definitely um okay. I like this. I like this is where this is going. All right, next up, and uh, you talked about this young lady um in your book as well, Chrisette Michelle, canceled or no? No, no. I think that she has had a lot of time to reflect. I think she has learned a lot, and I think that it's time for us to, you know. Give her, I mean, I think given the the the, the crime, the, the, the punishment did not suit the crime for her. Agreed. Right? She did something that was not cool and it was problematic and no one can disagree on that. But the ongoing isolation um, dismissal of her for that moment when we have seen others like Kanye West and others literally have a move. You know, Lil Wayne. Wayne like, it's been others who have done far more egregious things. I mean, mm -hmm. Steve Harvey was taking a meeting with him. Mm -hmm. These men have been given so much grace in spite of themselves. Mm. Several problematic things. And I just think Chrisette Michelle's entire history, everything that she had done up until that point, it was a misguided decision. Mm -hmm. She's reflected on it. She regrets it. Why are we not, you know, letting her back in? You know, I think that she should be uncanceled, in my opinion. I agree. And what really bothers me about the situation with her is she wasn't the she didn't even it wasn't even her performance. And we're going to really open that kind of that kind of worms. It was uh, the gospel singer, Travis Green, and she was singing alongside with him. Um, maybe it's because she was the bigger name than him at the time. Um, so he didn't get smoked. Maybe it's because she was a black woman and he was a black male. Um, but yeah, I noticed that he never, nobody ever was like, even in the, you know, the gospel community, nobody was like, oh, cancel Travis Green. Um, 
And as I recall, he also didn't stand up and defend her, which I found yeah, that he left, her, he left her out there, you know, hanging. Right. So he invited her to perform with him and then left her out there hanging. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Okay, so I agree with that, Chrisette Michelle. Next up, this has been a polarizing one for years and years and years. Um, we actually did an episode about it. Um, what was it, last week? The week before last. Uh, if y'all didn't listen to it, go back and listen to the Curious Case of Chris Brown. Um, as we know, Chris Brown and Chloe. Chloe got, you know, some strays a couple of weeks ago when she released uh, her new song and video with Chris Brown. Chris Brown, is he canceled or no? Yeah, absolutely canceled. No doubt. Okay. No question. So why do you think he has still to this day, much like R. Kelly, um, that he has such a strong fan base who will defend him to the end? Also, what do you feel about those people who say that he's, you know, he's grown, he was a child back then, he was only like 19, 20 years old, um, and that we should allow people the grace to grow up? Well, I think there's a lot of inaccurate fallacies within that logic of the fans. You know, they want to suspend disbelief. Mm -hmm. And over here, we are in reality. So <laughs> let me back up on the issue with Chris Brown. Um, two parts. One, your first question was, why do you think Chris Brown is still in the conversation? Yes. I think it's because it's simple. People don't care about women, um, Black women. Mm -hmm. So when Black women are afflicted, they just don't care. You know, um, if this if Chris Brown would have done this to a white woman, we'd be having a different conversation. Mm. So that's the first part. They don't care about black women's issues. Um, you know, there has been several women who have accused Chris Brown of being violent in some type of way. Mm -hmm. um, to ignore that timeline is to be intellectually dishonest. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear. When Chris Brown performed at the 2009 BT Awards and he cried during that Michael Jackson set, yes. I said to myself, okay, he's a troubled soul. He's somebody who clearly made a mistake, or at least at that time I thought he did. And this is there's a place for re redemption and grace. And many people like myself had a moment and said, okay, this guy needs to heal. Let's, let's see where this goes. And then he continued, right? He goes mm -hmm. up and, 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 and terrorizes the Good Morning America set because of the fact that he didn't like that Robin Roberts asked some questions about it. That's when he threw the chair, correct? He threw the chair out the window and damaged yes. the property. Could have killed somebody. Could have hurt somebody, right? Didn't care, right? Just reckless. Then after that, he dates Karuchi Tran, and then Karuchi, Karuchi Tran felt so, you know, endangered by him that she filed a restraining order. Mm -hmm. And this is a woman who held it down for him when everybody was giving him the code yeah. shuffle. And the fact that the one woman that you was with that was trying to be there for you and support you, even she felt like she wasn't safe. So unsafe that she filed a restraining order. To me, it showed that this was behavior that continued. He has also had, have had many colorist remarks towards Black women, um, acts of homophobia. His incident with Frank Ocean is very questionable. A lot of the ongoing remarks, I mean, the situation around gaslighting Kalani over her suicidal um, moments, you know, a lot of harmful, mean things. Even He's to the point of the Robert Glass, obviously it wasn't physical. But just but the disrespect. It, like, yes, Robert Glass. So, 
And so he's but he's continued to bully black women online. He's a mm -hmm. cyber bully. He's a troll. He's always inserting himself in situations that oftentimes don't have anything to do with him. He's highly defensive. And for everyone who keeps saying he's grown, he's learned, where is the growth? I mean, where is the growth in his music? I mean, his music all sounds the same. Where is the growth in his style and aesthetic? Like, I don't see any growth for Chris Brown. I feel like Chris Brown, you know, had a stunt growth in his maturity and his artistry. And a lot of his fans who just like him, they can like him, but two, but two things can be true at the same time. That you can like Chris Brown and think he's talented, but he can also be just a very bad guy personally. And I think some people don't want to take that and believe that, which is what it is. But he's canceled over here. Um, Charlamagne the God often says this. Um, before we go to our next one, I want to ask you about this quote. Um, he says that the day and age that we live in now, we would have never allowed Malcolm Little to become Malcolm X. We would have canceled him. Um, and he often says that when it comes to cancel culture, when it comes to the way we handle people who make mistakes, uh, what do you feel about that quote? It's not true, you know, okay. because the reality is, is that we actually, in spite of the things that happened to Malcolm Little, he still became Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. um, our community, the, the realities of people being canceled in a, in a segregation country like America was back then, it was actually harder for black people to actually have the abilities to have courage and be visible and stand out. In mm -hmm. fact, it didn't matter what they did back then. They could have been anything and could have still uh, been persecuted. And as we can see, when people reference the Malcolm X's and the MLK's, those people were assassinated. So it, it mm -hmm. doesn't, the society as it is today and tomorrow, th that doesn't hold any merit, you know, because the reality is, is that Back then, society did not want imperfect people. And how does he say that when we live in a world where Mel Gibson says racial slurs and, and, and anti-Semitic slurs and still get a career? That Charlamagne the God has been accused of sexual assault and has also have made various, various problematic things about Black women and queer people has been very much so transphobic. And yet this man has multi-million dollar deals still has book deals, still is touring, still has a show. So he's lying. Like, he literally is the embodiment of somebody who can do whatever he wants and continue to have a career. So what is he talking about? Like, he's a good example of a total jerk that's consistently being able to be platformed. Uh, I don't think you're going up to the Breakfast Club anytime soon. Not at all. Don't want to. <laughs> um, okay, this is an actually interesting one right here. In the height of the pandemic, uh, this gentleman, um, one... He had one of the best songs out, which was Best Part, along with her. His star was rising. He had collabs with Brandy. Like, dude was everywhere. But during the height of the, not just the pandemic, but just the civil unrest during Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, um, during the Instagram Live, <laughs> Daniel Caesar. Daniel Caesar said that Black people need to be kinder to white people, and we're, we need to stop being so sensitive. Um canceled or not because after that it kind of they packed him up and we haven't really heard much from daniel caesar since. well daniel caesar also has said some other problematic things that were colored okay. as well so let's be clear daniel caesar has been doing a lot and saying a lot at that time which is why he should have packed it up i mean at the end of the day you know we have to recognize that we do live in a free market society mm -hmm. and consumers have choice mm. so 
you know, you know, I'm sorry that Daniel Caesar had appealed to a fan base that believed certain things, held certain beliefs, and that he didn't recognize and read the room of his actual <laughs> clientele. Because mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of the fan base that he had, including people like myself who used to like him, we don't rock with those types of beliefs. Facts. So you don't know your audience. Do you think him being a black Canadian had something to do with it? Because their experience is a little different than black American? Possibly. But my whole thing is with all that money and all these teams and marketing groups that they have, no one could have sat him down and said, bro, this is not the place. This is not the space. I think part of the issue with a lot of these celebrities is, is that they're walking themselves into cancellation by just simply opening their mouths and not thinking before they're speaking. Though a lot of us everyday people have to consider what we say because we know what the risks are and implications. These people are so caught up in their ego that they don't mm. think they have to be necessarily accountable to us in the same ways that we have to to them. Like I agree. You know that when we grew up, you know, our parents would sit us aside and say, don't you embarrass me in this store. Act like you've got mm-hmm. sense. We knew what that meant. It seems like these celebrities, once they get famous, they make money, they just feel like they can say whatever they want because they're rich. And that's, that's what happened. He felt like he could say whatever he wanted, and he's consistently have done those types of things, and he's alienating his base. So if I was him, I would take a step back, read, think, right. process, and then speak. And that, I, I agree completely. Um, I joke about it on the podcast all the time. One of my biggest fears in life, no lie, is getting on Twitter one day and to be trending for something stupid I said. Rather, <laughs> whether if it was like recent or one of those ain't this you moments, because, you know, people like to dig up old tweets. Ugh. So, like, I'm yeah. very mindful about how I move on the Internet. Um, and anything that can be perceived as problematic, I try. Now, I will shake the table. But if it had, if it's attached to any, you know, homophobia, transphobia, um, you know, misogyny, anti-black, you know, anything like that, I definitely stay away from that. And I'm careful. And I feel like a lot of people don't do that. They just get out there and tweet. Um, the young man, what's his name? Um, the actor Shamik Moore from Into the Spider Verse, the Wu Tang story. Um, a while once again during the pandemic, he was talking about Rosa Parks and how she should have just called it, <laughs> called a taxi cab. Oh, my God. And then when people called him to the carpet, he took that time instead of actually listening, which you brought up ego, right? He took that time to um, really double, triple, and quadruple down on what he said. And it was a nini moment. I said what I said. So I feel like these people, they don't, a lot of celebrities, they don't have a PR team or they don't effectively use their PR team. No, they don't. And a lot of times they're in their own way, which is why this Mm -hmm. keeps happening. But mm-hmm. where I stand on it, I just feel like, you know, it, it's it's interesting how these these people can listen to their team when they say, oh, we got to hold back the album release or here's Ooh. the marketing plan. But somehow this same team can't say, okay, when you go on this interview, don't say this, say this. Read mm-hmm. this, read that. And you know what's funny? There are some great celebrities out there who have consistently listen to their teams or have done the reading and don't find themselves in these controversies. I think about Alicia Keys. I think of John Legend. I think a lot of these artists like them, her, who have just been mindful to say, okay, you know, here's what I know. Here's what I can share. Here's what I won't speak on, you know, and and they just know their lane. And I think that, that that's important. Like everything isn't to be discussed by everybody. 
You know, we can't be experts to everything. And, and here's the thing. If we do want to, mm -hmm. we need to be accountable for the reaction that mm -hmm. might occur. So if you say something and you decide to go there and you want to be spicy, then you need to recognize that you're going to open yourself up to people having opinions that may not be in your favor. I know That's this like the Beyonce. Beyonce, you notice she doesn't. <laughs> I don't blame her. about the music. I don't blame her. I've looked at some of her past interviews and I can mm -hmm. understand why. Don't blame <laughs> yes. her. She's been in the game for a quarter of a century. She she knows. And she knows. Yes. She knows what she has to arrange for and she keeps it there. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> all right. My last one. All right. This is a super controversial one. And it's three tiered. Bill Cosby, The Cosby Show, and A Different World. The reason why I attach those because we all know who Bill Cosby is and what he did. Right. Um, some people say separate the art from the artist because Dr. Heathcliff Huxtable and Bill Cosby are two completely different people, right? And then some people say that the cultural impact that the Cosby show and a different world had is not fair for us to just throw that away. Right. Uh, Cancel or not? Um... So yeah, I, I personally believe cancel Bill Cosby. I believe those women. That's just a fact. Um, so we're going we're gonna to keep a 100 right there. Okay. Um, I think with the shows, I think that we should just be mindful of the context of those shows, right? They're historical artifacts. They're pieces mm. of nostalgia that we know. And I think we can be able to watch that content and understand it in a different way. And it can serve as an education point, you know? Um, so that's what I believe with it. I don't believe that in this particular case, because I'm gonna tell you an example where you can't separate the art from the artist, is that literally Claire Huxtable and Bill Cosby were Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They were literally two different people. Right. So you would have not known what you knew now about it watching that show. Mm -hmm. But let's fast forward to another artist where people have tried to say the same argument is R. Mm. Kelly. There is I no way I can separate R. Kelly's art from his, his him because who he was was embedded in that art. Like you can't listen to Age Ain't Nothing By Number, that whole album by R. Kelly and Leah, because basically R. Kelly was raping Aaliyah during that time. Wow. Impregnating her, having an entire situation that was highly disgusting, highly inappropriate. And there's no way to listen to that music, that songs, those lyrics, and not realize that this was actually a situation where a grown man was sexually luring a minor. Seems there's like you're ready. To not distinguish that. Um, you know, there's other songs R. Kelly has had that when I was watching documentary Surviving R. Kelly, where they said that R. Kelly was writing these songs, addressing certain issues mm -hmm. that he were having with some of these women that he were was raping and abusing it's hard to separate that music now i can't listen to those songs yeah now that i know what they're about or what they were related to and not you know i can't do it you know no, so, that. Um, yeah no music songs that come to mind it seems like you're ready um <laughs> my mind's telling me no but my body's telling me yeah. right. or yeah. or the song he did a song back called vibe she's got that vibe and in the song, he says, while he's naming the girls, he says, little Aaliyah's got it. I'm like, what? And no one- Whoa, 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 for real? Yes, the song that like, she's got that vibe. Yeah. 
I'm gonna put the lyrics. Um, wow, I didn't know that. At the end of the song, yes, at the end of the song, he goes, um, um, oh my goodness, he says, you know, Joanna's got it, Leon's got it, Teresa's got it, Chip's got it, L little cute Aaliyah's got it. Oh, wow. He said that, and this song came out. She's got that vibe. That song is when he was in that group. But he says, little cute Aaliyah's got it. And that song came out. Um, That's disgusting. You know, because I was like, when I heard this, I was like, it was from the group Born Into the 90s. Mm -hmm. The song came out in November of 1991. Wow. And he literally says it in that song. That's crazy. So it was like he was dropping hints that entire time. You know, What's because at that time, to, for clarity, just so people can know what type of time we was on, Aaliyah at, in 1991. She's a teenager, right? Like 13, 14? She was, um, she was 12. Wow. She was 12 years old. She was born January 16th, 1979. That's okay wow. by 1991. Yeah. She was 12 years old when he was saying little cute Aaliyah's got it. In a song like vibe. Like she's got that vibe of a song where you're like, it's a yeah. group. You're listening. And in the end, he's naming all these people. A says little cute Aaliyah's got it. And she's 12 years old. So I you, can't, to say so you no. can't separate the art from the, like in that situation, right. you cannot separate the art. I can't hear that song and not be like ill because the vibe is not a vibe for adults. It's a vibe of a man lusting after a young girl where he's naming all these women and he's literally naming a young girl in the song. <sighs> I think um, what's crazy to me is that I don't believe that R. Kelly is actually canceled. Well, because yeah. the radio still plays him sometimes. Um, and black folks still listen now. I think my generation, our generation, the generation behind us, we're not like, we're not rocking with him like that. Right. But the older generation, they still are rocking with R. Kelly. They're still saying things like, he didn't do nothing to me or mine. So I'm gonna listen to him. Um, do you think there's a correlation with how people protect predators in their own families and refuse to cancel people in their own families to how they refuse to cancel celebrities like um, R. Kelly, celebrities like allegedly, so I don't get sued, um, Trey Songs and people like that? Absolutely, um, absolutely. So 100%, let me just say that. Um, but I also want to say this about cancellation, that it's not a total, it's not an absolute mm. all sums all situation. Like in my belief, I don't believe cancellation in my opinion, and I talk about this in the book, mm -hmm. I don't believe cancellation is a, a totality. I think it's when individuals choose to. And there is some, you know, experience of cancellation, right? So, okay, there are always going to be somebody that's going to feel some type of way, right? And in my book, I say not all cancellations are the same. But the point I want to get here about this is that at the end of the day, I believe collectively R. Kelly was canceled to some extent, right? This okay. 
Netflix has been taken off of certain platforms. This man is currently behind bars, and he's going to probably spend the major most of his life behind bars, not able to perform in concerts, sing live again, or record another album again. Like, that is, that's severe. So whether or not a couple of people still listen to his music or not, whatever. But, like, at the end of the day, in that in this argument, mm -hmm. R. Kelly is canceled. Like, okay. another R. Kelly album. Whether or not people... Every like no, there's no such thing as a situation where someone is a hundred percent canceled and mm -hmm. everybody disliked them. Like for example, you know the Confederate, right? The Confederacy mm. lost the Civil War. They lost the Union won. You know, mm -hmm. well thing. There are still people to this day that rock the Confederate flag. They still like the Confederate flag. Mm -hmm. Confederacy is canceled. But yeah, there's always going to be a couple of people that's going to still rock with them. But overall, the impact has been felt, and our has fallen. He like to me, not being canceled. I would argue a person who just has been untouched. I don't know who's been untouched yet, fully by cancel culture, like untouched completely. Um, I mean, there's people who have definitely felt some things. Now, there's been levels. Mm -hmm. of how much they felt and how much they didn't feel. So, for example, I believe that Trump has felt some level of council culture, right? The fact that- That's we why Biden's in office. And took him out of office, correct. <laughs> and Twitter knocked him off for a while and Facebook mm -hmm. did too. So he felt some of that. Has he felt it to the fullest extent? No, because arguably some people believe he should be behind bars for some of the stuff he's done. Mm -hmm. He hasn't. So I, I won't say that, that, that I want to be clear that there has been people who've experienced some level. Um, Trey Songs, I feel like it felt some level. Really? We're not giving Trey Songs the same award show platforms. His albums don't okay. sell at all. He's not getting the level of good vibes. I mean, if anything, there's been more stories about Chris Brown. I mean, Trey Songs doing what he's doing, then he has actually dropped singles. I mean, we're hearing more allegations right now of him doing problematic things than we've heard any positive press about new music, new tours, yeah. new things. I mean, even The Baby, right? The Baby is a good example of council culture. Like, The Baby started off being Grammy-nominated, having the number one song in the country, being one of the biggest promising artists, having SNL performances. So now his tickets are being sold for $15 bundle packages on Groupon. Like nobody wants to go to the baby show. You went from being hot to being not. So like he can't even give away tickets. He can't even give away the tickets. If that's not council culture, I don't know what is. Like there was a point in time where the baby felt like he was on top of the world. And we literally just was like, No. Yeah, he was next up for sure. Yeah. Okay. Now, no, this baby, is good. Now little baby is taking over. And <laughs> Another is, baby. Little baby's taking over now. <laughs> and is all right, real quick. We're gonna take a real quick break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna really uh get more into this book. You were listening to combos for the culture. I'm here with Ernest Owens. We will be back after this. Yo, what's good, everybody? What I need you to do right now is stop what you're doing and listen. We need you to donate to this show, all right? Yes, we're asking 200 people to donate $10 to Convos for the Culture. It's easy to do it. Now, what is this money going to? It's going to lighting. It's going to equipment. It's going to podcast equipment, microphones, uh, uh, soundboards, all of that good stuff. 
stuff, all right? And also, we're bringing in an in-house producer, so we're going to pay him. So I don't have to do all this work. So what I need you to do right now, pull out your phone, right? Go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash combos for the culture or www.paypal.me forward slash combos for the culture. Or you can just cash up, cash at us at Combos FTC. That's Combos FTC, all right? Whatever your preferred method is. If you look in the show notes, you can look at it through there as well. And basically, we're just asking you to do $10, all right? That's it. That's like a cup of coffee and a little Danish. Who drinks Danishes? Well, who eats Danishes? I don't know, but you get what I'm saying. Do it now. Do it now. And back to the show. So we are back. We are back. Loving this combo. Make sure that you uh, join the conversation um, on all of our socials and all of that good stuff. All right. Um, okay. So something in your book that you talked about that really um, stuck out to me. Uh, we talked about Jay-Z, right? You talked about Jay-Z for a little bit and mm-hmm. talked about um, his take on cancel culture um, and how he was talking about it is unfair to um, what's it called? It's unfair that we put these um, young artists in situations where they have to be, you know, experts at political things and experts on all of these things. Um, what did you think about that? Because I mean, I know what you thought about it because I read the book, but like the way he's speaking is like we're asking a little Nas X, right, to break down transphobia and colorism in Black America, right? He's acting like we're asking, uh, <laughs> we're asking uh, a Marseille Martin or a Coco Jones, or like these very young people, right? Um, their thoughts on the you know political climate uh, here in America and all of these things. When usually the people getting canceled are big aged people, thirty plus at least, right? 30, 40, 50. I, right. I think that Jay Z is detached from reality. Mm. Uh, and not just in this statement, but just a lot of statements he's made in recent years. I think that he is so wealthy and so influential that he is so intellectually delayed on reality, like on the actual experiences of everyday people. You know, he was on a Twitter live acting like capitalism was like a slur and misinterpreted what the concerns were around gross wealth in this country. Is that and, when he was saying that um, capitalists, calling him a capitalist is calling is like calling him a N-word? Absolutely. And okay. to be honest, that is not the same. <laughs> but it's just that Jay-Z, again, is so, he's gotten so rich that he's gotten dumb. Mm. Like I think that some people can get so rich that they can be so dumb, they can get dumb. Like in the sense of trying to be a boss and a genius, he has definitely misunderstood various principles that has led to him to sound so out of touch and tone deaf mm-hmm. to realities that people are experiencing, right? Mm. And so we've seen this show up in various ways with him and his actions from creating change collaboration with the NFL, which was just like just a big money grab over actual cultural structural institutional change um his comments on council culture is just completely far-fetched and out of touch and honestly the issue with his statement they made there is that let's be clear society's not expecting young people or these people to be experts what we're asking for is that when you decide to join into a conversation speak act with accurately and honestly about mm-hmm. these things 
and and strive not to offend. And mm-hmm. most of the controversies, I, I'm more willing to say, Jay Z, can you give me an example of a situation in which a young person that you're talking about in Hollywood was thrown into a situation where they were forced to speak or be an expert on something politically? The answer is there's none, right? The answer is is that oftentimes young people and creatives, right? will decide to create content and music that speaks to these things. And many of them have done a great job articulating their understanding. So Mm -hmm. her is a young musician, Grammy award winning, Oscar winning musician, brilliant black woman who has written music that has spoke to Black Lives Matter. One of those songs won the Grammy for Song of the Year. She speaks mm-hmm. very eloquently about those issues and she actually wants to talk about those issues and she expresses them in her music. No one threw her into that conversation. No one told, in a world where so many music artists are hypersexualized or talking about you know things that are insignificant to the culture, she's chosen to lean in and be a different type of artist. So has Little Nas X. And so when I think about artists like them, these are artists that's choosing to lean in and dive deeper in their music. And that's always been the case in hip hop, you know, and in R&B music. There's there's always been artists, even like Jay-Z back in the day when he was young, that wanted to talk about the streets and talk about politics. You know, so I just don't know where he gets off on this idea that somehow society all of a sudden wants to put young people in the hot seat. That's just not how it works. And that's just intellectually dishonest. And there's also always an opportunity to say, I don't know. Right. And people do. People say, look, I have nothing to say on that or I can't speak on that. Or even how Chloe, I mean, Chloe comes from the from Parkwood Entertainment. She comes That's from right. the school of Beyonce Media. Both mm-hmm. of this is Chloe and Haley. So when they asked her on the red carpet about Chris Brown and the controversy, she said, I just want us to focus on the music. That's it. That's right. Um, People still had a problem with that, but she didn't say, oh, people should just let it go. People should stop. S Y Z. She just said, "I just want to focus on the music." Um, so at the end of the day, I feel like regardless of how old or young you are, you have the opportunity to say, "Let's just focus on whatever project I'm working on." You have the opportunity to say, "I don't know much about that topic." Right. Instead of out here getting yourself canceled for saying something stupid. I, I, absolutely, I agree. Okay, so. Mm, Let's talk about it, all right? Let's talk about your big bad, the big bad of this story, right? Um, yeah. One of the big bads. Pierce Morgan. <sighs> oh, God. <laughs> um, talk to us. Um, actually, we're going to play, play a clip from y'all's um, recent exchange real quick. For what I thought was a disgusting attack on the British royal family. You yeah, made ad hominem attacks against her character. You assassinated her character before the British press. And you know how the tab was towards I've her. Been just you disca- understood what you were doing. I've been just as scathing, if not more so, against Prince Harry, who I actually think is more to blame. Didn't you? I want to know if this is true. Ask, riddle me this. Wasn't there a point in time where at least you tried to pursue a relationship with her? You Absolute all had this before all of this happened. No, absolute nonsense. Okay, that was Another nonsense. lie. It's another lie. I met her once in okay. my life. Okay. Okay. What do you mean, okay? We found more tweets while we were I talking to you. Are you calling me a British media racist darling? What does that mean, Ernest? 
What does that mean? It means that you have always, you have recently chosen, lately in your career, for whatever reason, you went the road of basically baiting into a lot of the biased coverage of Meghan Markle. Absolutely. And a lot of it has you see, been racist attacks. A lot uh, of it Ernest. has been targeted towards her in a biased way. And, and, and come on, can you admit that the coverage around Meghan Markle has been racially biased? Can no, you admit that? No, absolutely not. Not, not talking no. about your work, no, I think but it's in good, general. I think it's another load of absolute hogwash. Nonsense. So you're dismissing the role of race in all of this. You don't think none of this has a role. I'm in saying any the, of the British media. The British media has never been racist about Meghan Markle. And okay, never, that's just a lie. And it, we, it's not we, a we're lie. We're going to agree and disagree. It's not we're a lie. Agree it's a fact. Disagree. It's a fact. No, it's not. What is a lie? No, it's not. What is a lie, Ernest? Is you telling people repeatedly, "I'm a racist," and then you can't produce any evidence other than it's I your feeling. I said you made a racist tirade. Yeah. And you're and you're and you're offended, but but here's the thing: you're offended. blaming me for the criticism. I'm not offended. You said you're blaming me as a high influential black I'm person. I'm calling out your lies. And by the way, it's nothing again. You're blaming me for your criticism. It has nothing to do with your skin color, Ernest. I don't care. But you I literally said when you said I was a black influential person. You named my race. You said you're a black influential person, and that's yes. why people thought that way. I think when so why high did you profile, bring my race into it? I think when high-profile black people like you. Go public on Twitter. Okay, high-profile black people go, like me. Like go you, ahead. go public on Twitter and call me a racist. People like you went public people, on Meghan Markle. Continue. People believe, people believe it. And you know what? It's a it's a And people believe what you said lie. about Meghan Markle or no? It's a lie. Anyway, Hi. we've got to leave it there, and it's been lovely catching up with you. All right, so Pierce Morgan talked to me about it. Um, what's his issue with you? What's his beef with you? Um... And so did you call him a <laughs> did you call him a racist? No, I, I said that he went on a racist tirade. And I think what's mm -hmm. important is that people should know the difference between racist and, and, and call, accusing someone of doing something racist versus calling them a racist, right? Mm -hmm. People can do certain things that are harmful in that moment. That doesn't mean it's a life, a death sentence or a life sentence on them. You know, mm -hmm. I think that the reality was that in those moments when he was going after Meghan Markle, I think that some of the things he was doing at that moment was racist. I think Piers Morgan, what he was trying to do, which is what a lot of these people on the far right do, is that they love to go to extremes to try to create fake absolutisms, right? So he wanted, he has a rigid definition of what racism is. He thinks that racism is situations where people are blatantly using the N-word or you know interjecting skin color in a very perverse way. Black people know that racism takes ways you know it's mm -hmm. microaggressions it's the way that we talk about people it's the way that we choose to selectively go after certain people compared to other people it's the vendettas that can appear to be in certain cases and bias and so there was a lot of complicit bias in the way that um you know Piers Morgan decided to go after Mar Meghan Markle it's something to be said that for all of the, the hypocrisies that in now his career, throughout his career, he's flip-flopped on how he's discussed these issues. So mm -hmm. at one point in time, when he had a crush on Meghan Markle, which he acknowledged that he found her beautiful attractive and that he wanted to pursue, you know, meeting with her at a bar, and she ghosted him. Mm. He literally said this in an interview that she ghosted him. And so when that happened... So he lied. Hold on. So he lied because I watched an interview with you. Yeah, he lied in an interview. I asked him specifically, was yeah. there a point in time when he wanted to pursue a relationship with Meghan Markle? And he said, no. And I said, okay. I said, and then okay. that's what he said. What do you mean, okay? You mean? I'm like, <laughs> you know, bro, the receipts are there. So I just okay. let him be like, you're lying. But let me also add that to people who want mm. to understand how dirty this interview was. 
here's some tea. The tea mm-hmm. is, is that that was not what we were supposed to be talking about in the show. Mm. The whole week he had been talking about me in the press, Fox News, all these different outlets, because he was upset about an excerpt from my book, which is in the final chapter, in which I discussed Pierce Morgan mm-hmm. in the book about how I felt like cancel culture happened to him in regards to he went on that show, um, Good Day Brennan, Good Morning Brennan, where he was a, once an anchor and a, and a, and a moderator or whatever. He was on this panel and he was just going in on Meghan Markle, dismissing her mental health claims, dismissing the racism she experienced. But back up real quick. Prior to that interview, years before, years before, he did a documentary in which he had said that the, the Meghan Markle was entering a family that did not have the best history on racism. So mm-hmm. he acknowledged that these people had some issues with racism before she entered that house. So then all of a sudden, years later, now that she's ghosted him, he didn't like her. She is saying to him, she's making these claims in the interview with Oprah, and now he's saying it's not true. He don't believe her. And it's like, why you don't believe her now? Because you didn't have a chance? Because you got rejected? Because she doesn't want to talk to you? Because you been invited to the wedding? So now you're bothered and you're in your feelings? Like, that's immature. So his the panelists on the show were saying, you know, basically get him together. So much that he walked off the set and he never came. I remember that. And so in retrospect, at that time, 57,000 reports were sent to a group that monitors the, the, the agency that monitors TV shows and programming over there. They're kind of like the FCC in America, but they're over there. In Great okay. 57,000 complaints, including one from Meghan Markle herself, basically complained about him. And so that was enough pressure for him to say, you know, he didn't want to be on the show anymore. So he departed. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, he's been bitter about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the, I was supposed to come on the show, one, to talk about my book, but to, two, also talk about the fact that he wanted to once again talk about how the Sussex were kicked out of the, the, their British property by King Charles. Mm-hmm. And so he was in his, I guess, feelings about it. And my position was that they should have done it. I think the family was petty for doing that. Of course, his position was they should have been kicked. They should have been, they should have been kicked out because he's always going to be a Meghan Markle hater for the rest of his life. Right. And so I come on the show and have that conversation. Well, when we get on the show, it's a complete 180. He wants to talk about some tweets. And let me be clear, two tweets, two, in which I had accused him of making a racial tirade, mm-hmm. but not in any of those tweets that I actually call him a racist. But he wanted to spend his time going back and forth about this because he was just like trying to beg up and down that he wasn't racist. But the irony about that conversation was he said to me that, oh, you know, people like you, high, a high profile black man like you, mm-hmm. is the reason why people think this. And mm-hmm. I said, wait a minute, let's pause real quick. Why are you calling me a high profile black man and blaming me specifically on my racial identity as to why you're getting the smoke that you're getting? Like, how do you not find that to be once again another racist remark? Yeah. It's a dog whistle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's racist. Yeah. And so the pot was calling itself the kettle black. Like he spent the whole time on the show trying to say he's not racist, but he consistently did racist things on the show. Mm-hmm. So I just let him show his ass. Which I love. You didn't, yeah. you weren't really combative. You were no. calm the no. whole time. Because People my whole mindset was the collect the check cleared. And so did he get cleared? So why am I going to sit up and right. stress myself up? You're going to make, you're going to show your ass and I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to keep going. And it that's was the okay. 
And it, it was, was like, okay, that bless me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay. Like, that, like, all I'm saying is that everybody is going to go and Google everything mm -hmm. that's being said right now. Yeah. And they did. They wrote the receipts. The receipts were there. Points were made. And I just sat there and I gave the facts. I have a question. Um, so a lot of people, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here shortly, but a lot of people say that um cancel culture has gone too far, right? Um a lot of people also within the Christian community, um, the black Christian community, they bring up, well, what about grace? Because God forgives, Jesus forgave us, we all have fallen sin and fall short of the glory of God. So cancel culture is anti-faith. And also people are saying that cancel culture has just gone too far and we just cancel people like this. And if we disagree with somebody, then it's, oh, let me run this campaign to um, cancel them. So two questions. One, do you think that cancel culture is going or has gone too far? And two, where do you think faith and cancel culture um, kind of align? I think that what we need to stop doing is putting the cart before the horse. Mm -hmm. Before we can talk about grace and forgiveness and whatnot, we need to have a conversation about actual accountability. Mm. What I see a lot of people do in society is that when a person has done something wrong, they automatically go to, let's not judge, let's not, hold on now. Can this person speak up? Can we yeah. get them to actually address the harms that they committed? Can we get them to actually acknowledge what they did? Can we actually get to know if they're sincere or not? Can we actually get a sincere apology? Can we actually get a process going? What we've seen oftentimes is that people do not actually address the harm. And they're so quick to provide grace and protection to the offender, but they never consider the victims. What do the mm. victims look like? What does justice look like for those who was harmed? What does that look like? Because for all of this talk about grace, we're not actually looking at what happened, what caused the cancellation. So to this man who abuses countless women, to that person that's doing homophobic slurs and making people feel uncomfortable and harmed and, 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 and marginalized, what do those people feel? What do those people want? What does justice look like for them? And so what we need to be talking about is reshifting the conversation mm -hmm. that we often see people use this argument to protect people that they personally like without considering what's been done to other people. Mm, that's good. So, so my question is, we can't have, the, well, no, no, no. My answer is we cannot have that conversation until we address accountability. Mm. And I have found that in most of these conversations, when people are bringing up grace and second chances and yada, 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 hold on real quick. Did, did, did anyone actually, did this person actually admit that they made a mistake? Because sometimes people are saying they made a mistake. Was that a mistake or was it intentional? Mm. You know, Kim Burrell is an example of that. She is someone oh, who have said harmful things on purpose, intentionally. And when people have called her into question, she has asked for grace. But my whole thing is, can you actually acknowledge what you said was wrong? Stop trying to gaslight and finger point and blame people and say people misunderstood cut it out she did not say lgbtq she said s-i-n right oh right let god be true quickly right 
Yeah. Yeah, it's um that's another one. Kimberell is Kimberell canceled? For me, she is. Okay. Um, and that's, that's a whole nother conversation. The church. Um, whatever. I'm gonna bring it up, right? Um okay. last week, um, Kira shared who I actually, you know, I feel like everyone has a problematic fave, right? Now she I wanna say she's my fave, but I enjoy some of her music. I enjoy her skills, right? Um Last week, she posted this video of her in the studio, and she was voguing, right? This is the same woman who spent some time on her album, uh, Free, where she says, I want to be free from homosexuality. We don't want to sin anymore. Like, she went into this whole thing. So you remember that. But then you're sitting here pulling from the culture that you punched down on, and you're voguing. And you're voguing. The same community that does your hair, that does your makeup, that's styling you, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like the church's relationship with the LGBTQ community is very toxic at at, at Oh, best. 100%. 100%. And I want to be clear that there are churches that are affirming churches, and mm-hmm. we can't exclude them. There are affirming churches and churches out there that do not hold these types of views Mm-hmm. They're very inclusive. They're very affirming. And it's a shame that so many people have left the church um, because they feel as though this is a standard across. It's not. Mm-hmm. You know, people can seek spirituality and faith in various ways. I know I have. And I think that what is important is that we consistently call out those double standards in the community. We need to. Mm-hmm. We need to have those tough conversations. We need to let people know that you cannot consistently, in one breath, condone our patronage, but condemn our existence. Mm. And there's a lot of institutions, out, not just the church, but the church is one of them, that want us in their choirs, want Ooh. us on their fundraising boards, want us in their planning committees but don't want us in our full truths find that to be disgusting but then our work is not Mm. and so it really is going to require two things to happen one is that leaders in churches that need to do some reality check and do some revisit on what that faith is about and what love and compassion is about and for the same people that talk about grace for pedophiles and criminals where is the grace for us oof that's funny that you said that um, Clubhouse. Um, I've heard yeah. people on Clubhouse say things like, oh, you know, they'll talk about grace, right? And they'll talk about how, oh, in the Bible, you can be a murderer and then you can ask for grace and ask for forgiveness and God will accept you. But then at the same time, they'll be like, but being gay, that's where we draw the line. Right. But that's where they draw the line. Yes. Yeah. That's not where God draws the line. Mm, come on. <laughs> you know? I think that that's the reality. The reality is that they're cherry picking themselves mm-hmm. what they want to give grace to. And so I have to remind myself, and I think more people need to remind themselves that these people are not God. True. They're not God. They don't, they don't, they don't dictate who we are, how far we can go in life. And I believe that the same indignation they have over their lives are the same that we're entitled to. And sometimes the messenger is problematic and you need to check the source check the source 
because a lot of this messaging that's coming from these people are not rooted in faith, forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, salvation. It's rooted in marginalization, bitterness, and rejection. Mm. They're using God, they're weaponizing God as a way to embolden themselves and isolate the rest of us. And mm -hmm. so we need to look at these messages. Are these messages in love or are these messages in people trying to play and act as though they're God? And so I think that's something that we need to look at because in my book, I talk about how cancel culture is a tool. It can be utilized or it can be weaponized. And I've seen mm. times throughout history, people have weaponized faith. These yes. are, are people weaponized Christianity to justify slavery. Look at the KKK. They're, um, they're registered as a Christian organization. So, right. yeah. so we've seen people in history, past and present, weaponize Christianity to try to marginalize people. And it doesn't matter if it's in a white church or a black church, mm -hmm. but check the source, check the messenger. And when you do that, you start to be more clear on what God's message really is and what it's not. Oof, I love that. So I want to thank you, first of all, for coming by today. Uh, this has been a fruitful conversation. Everybody, I need y'all to get the case for cancel culture. You can get on. Well, what's your preferred method? Because I know others have a preferred method. Listen, get it everywhere books are sold. And I'm also okay. doing an audio book. So the audio book you can get now as well. So if you like audio book, go to Audible, Amazon, use your points, get your book um, yes. there. Um, and also, as far as books go, get get where, get where we can. I mean, get it from Black-owned bookstores if you can find it there. Get it at the airport. Get it at Barnes & Noble. Get it from Amazon. You know, get it from wherever you can get your hands on it ASAP, okay? Yes. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm still going to get the hard copy, y'all. I yes. actually got the audio book. Uh, I am going to get the hard copy because it's, it's an amazing book. Um, y'all will pull something from it. Can you let the people know what you have coming up and then also where the people can find you? Yeah, I can be found on social media at Mr. Ernest Owens um, on Instagram and Twitter. My website is www.ernestomas.com. Um, I am currently doing a book tour. I'm making travel. I just finished the first leg. I'll be ramping up and going back to some cities starting in April again. So, you know, Boston, I'll be coming there soon. Um, Philadelphia, I live in Philadelphia. So there's more Philadelphia events to come. And, you know, I'll be traveling around the country. So just follow me on my social media and keep up with my dates um, where you can find me. And, I'll, and I'm doing signed copies and, and, and meetups and pictures and everything else. Awesome. So it's going to be in Chicago at all. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. A lot of people keep saying come to Chicago. So I got to find a place in Chicago that wants to let me sign great books and do great things. So um, I'm planning I on will hit you up um, okay. on the back end and try to, because um, I have a possible, depending on what type of size of venue you want, I might have a, a possible uh, black owned um, spot that does book signings and all of that. Okay, cool. I'm trying to work on some some cities, some additional cities to add on my roster. Okay. Um, so I can just come in, come out, travel, do my thing. So I'm down with it. Let's do oh. it. All right. Well, once again, thank you for stopping by. Uh, we will be back. One, We're going to take one final break, um, and then we'll close out the show. You are listening to Convos for the Culture. We will see you after this. Yo, what's up, everybody? What's up? Yo, we had an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation today. I want to thank Lizzie for stopping by. Make sure you go follow Lizzie. Uh, I want to thank Lizzie for stopping by the show. Uh, we had an awesome conversation centered around John Morant and Tori Kelly. And I also want to thank 
Ernest Owens for stopping by and talking about his new book, The Case for Cancel Culture. I read the book. Well, I listened to the book because I had to do audio because, yeah. Uh, I listened to it. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. Yo, check it out. Next week, I have an awesome artist who I'm going to be uh, chopping up with. His name is Mikey Everything. We actually got some really dope interviews coming up, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. If you haven't done so already, though, donate to the show, y'all. Um, we are still looking for 200 people. We're sitting at like 74 right now, right? We're still looking for 200 people to donate towards season two, all right? We're, what, five episodes in, so we still need your help, okay? We still need your help so we can keep going. Um, basically, all I need y'all to do is donate $10. Now, if you want to do more, that's cool, right? $10, all right? How can you donate? You can do buy me a coffee forward slash convos for the culture. You can do paypal.me forward slash convos for the culture. Or you can just cash up at cash app us at convos FTC, all right? Convos FTC. Make sure that you leave a rating and a review. Make sure that you do all of those things so we can really get this show pushed out, all right? Listen. I'm going to be out of here. Make sure that you uh, let us know. Give us feedback what you thought about this episode. And we will see you next week.